story of the weekend is uh, the president was going to meet with Taliban leaders in the United States uh, to work out a deal to end the war in Afghanistan, whatever that means. Um, and uh, it fell apart at the last minute. And we're going to talk to Mike Lyons, our favorite political analyst, later this hour and see what his thoughts are on it, whether it was a good idea or bad idea and uh, and, and what's going to happen at this point. So we got that. Um. And then uh, there is there's some more from Sharpie Gate, with the most interesting thing coming out of Sharpie Gate being very little media coverage of the fact that the Bahamas were completely leveled, and they are going to find so many dead bodies. Oh there. boy, oh boy! And it didn't get much attention because all the all the hurricane coverage for three days, four days, was the Trump tweet about Alabama and drawn on the map and all that sort of stuff, which Chris Christie says is on purpose. To uh, to jerk around the media. But, oh uh, boy, oh boy. But anyway, five dimensional chess. More on that later. This is a heavy story, but pretty darned interesting. Every time there is a mass shooting, particularly at a school, we all say, "What can we do? What can we do?" Well, here's an example of one where it, the the story is more: How did we not do anything? And it's thanks to a father of one of those killed at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. The dad has uncovered how the district enabled the deranged student-turned-shooter to uh, to continue to be in school. He's got a new book out called, uh, maybe we should talk to him or do a long-form podcast, Why Meadow Died, The People and Policies That Created the Parkland Shooter and Endanger American Students. Mm. And this is an excerpt from that. When staff at, we all, do I need to reset the story? Do we all remember that? This this psycho kid, and he mean, he was a psycho kid. Yeah, he walked into his high school and killed. Jeez, what was it? Twenty? Some? It was terrible. He was well and, uh, known to the district and to the police. Well, you're about to hear about okay. that. All right. Uh, when staff at Westglades Middle School heard that Nicholas Cruz had committed the massacre over at the high school, some couldn't believe it. The fact that he was a mass murderer was wasn't what they surprised him, but the fact that he had attended that school, they heard his name and thought, "How is that possible?" We did our jobs. It took forever, we, but we got him to a specialized school where he needed to go. We couldn't believe that they ever let him into Douglas, the, the regular public high school. Westglade students and staff had never seen anyone like Nicholas Cruz. One student recalled the time she met him. They were standing outside their classroom waiting for their teacher to open the door, and, and uh, Cruz offered her a hug, which she accepted. The teacher later pulled the student inside and said, don't touch him. He just got caught masturbating in the gym and then mentioned some of the other terrible things that he, he had Oh, boy. Are odd things that he had been doing. If something frustrated Cruz, he would curse and threaten anyone nearby. He would hide behind corners and doors, jump out and scream at people, then cackle at their fear. Sometimes, for no apparent reason, he would burst into maniacal laughter. Um, uh, Students recalled him throwing chairs across the room. Uh, Torturing and killing animals was a big source of pride for him, and he constantly was showing kids pictures and videos of him torturing and killing animals. The student, the teachers were all aware of this sort of stuff. Um, He was suspended every other day when he was a seventh grader at the middle school. Why did the school allow him to remain enrolled despite his daily deranged behavior for a full year? Not by, by negligence, but by policy. And again, this is from the book, from the father of one of the students he killed. Right. Students with disabilities are supposed to be educated in the, quote, least restrictive environment. Regardless of whether their disability is that they're dyslexic or a psychopath, and the paperwork requirements to send them to a specialized school can take many, many months. Um, 
they go through a whole bunch of different examples of of just you know crazy stuff he was doing and how he would talk about guns and killing people and shooting up the school and and abusing animals and weird sex stuff and everything and this went on they well they've got a, a daily almost daily occurrence september 3rd he did this september 4th he did this september 11th he did this this is in 7th grade right. september 16th september 27th so he was he was kicked out of school or sent home every other day as they said uh and he regularly talked about killing himself or killing others and and nothing was done you know it reminds me of a discussion we had not too long ago about the whole sanctuary city uh, a utopian nonsense where you've got dangerous, dangerous people who the virtue signaling, you know, just knee jerk anti Trump people say, no, we're not going to control. We're not going to cooperate with ice at all. We're talking about a murderous lunatic on the loose and you're not going to cooperate with ice. Why not? You've got to explain to me why it's a good idea in this case and not just be. You know, blanket policy oriented. Well, they're at uh, that school district in Florida, and we hammered this at the time. They had a hardcore policy that was pushed by the Obama administration that we don't arrest students. We don't arrest them for stuff they did at school or on the way to school or after school. We we work with them. We educate them. We got to reduce those those numbers of arrested students. And, you know, that's fine. I get the impulse, and, I, and it's probably a good one. But if you're that if you're that obsessed with it that you got a lunatic like this, who just begs you over and over again to put him in the system somehow, but no, you're not going to do it because you're, you're committed to this other way. You've just lost perspective. Right. So I remember when we were talking about it at the time because it was, it was the idea that too many black kids were, were, would, would get in trouble and then they'd have some sort of record with the police and then that, how that would affect their lives. Right. So they did away with it just in general and then it, you know, Cruz became part of that. Then you've got the other thing that I've seen in my own kids schooling throughout uh, preschools and various things where, um, when I was a kid, there was a there was special ed in in my school. Every school I went to, and and some kids with various behavioral problems were over there. But now the belief is having everybody, if at all possible, in the regular class. That mm-hmm. somehow that's going to help. Yeah. What ends up happening a lot of times is it's incredibly disruptive to the class, and in this case, incredibly dangerous. So here's what one teacher said there in seventh grade. And again, the most the most shocking thing to them was, "Oh my God, Nicholas Cruz was at the public high school." Um, I feel strongly, this was the, the note that one teacher wrote, I feel strongly that Nicholas is a danger to the students and faculty at this school. I do not feel that he understands the difference between his violent video games and reality. He is constantly showing aggressive behavior and poor judgment. His drawings in class show violent acts, people shooting each other, or creepy sexual pictures, pictures and they give it a description. I would like to see him sent to a, a facility that is more prepared and has the proper setting to deal with this type of child. Where did he go off when he got out of middle school? He went off to the regular high school and did the same thing, same sorts of things, and got wow. to hang around the school. Wow. Dang it. Is, some, is there going to be some giant lawsuit out of this? There, there, there's the, there are the instances of uh, where you, you, you look at some of these mass shootings or school shootings, and you look back over and you think, boy, that would have been really hard to catch unless we're going to be the sort of society that starts throwing people into mental institutions or jail for for the tiniest thing, I don't know how you're going to stop. It. But then you've got these examples, yeah, where 
everybody knows that this person is is you know a danger, and you still can't do anything. Well, this gets back to my view of societies that they they veer from guardrail to guardrail. If you want to make the argument that like the mandatory minimum sentences in the early nineties were too far, fifty years for trafficking and crack, whatever, no parole, blah blah blah. We got too many people in prison, too many people who just made one mistake, and uh, okay, we can have that discussion. That's fine, but. Instead of just saying, "All right, let's let's talk about people getting a second chance and the rest of it," there in some places, blue states, they've gone to this insane, way, way, way over the top decriminalizing of crime. Witness uh, Cal Unicornia with their Prop Thirty Seven and Forty Seven, or Forty Seven and Fifty Seven. I can never remember. Um, where if you if you steal less than nine hundred dollars, it's a misdemeanor, and and nobody's allowed to stop shoplifters and. Bums and junkies are laying around the street. So now we're at the other extreme. Known psychopaths. Well, we've got to mainstream them. We've got to keep them in the class. No, we don't. We don't need to permit junkies to ruin people's neighborhoods. And we don't need to permit psychopaths in classrooms. Sometimes you have to do things that make you feel bad. It's part of being an adult. That's amazing, though. I'm glad this dad has written this this book. I'm sure it, it will get zero media coverage. Got in there. There are letters from therapists that the, they, that had involved, been involved with the kid, and psychiatrists, and teachers, and there's there's tons of info to say, and all of them saying the same thing. He's he's he can't stop talking about killing people and guns and killing animals. Right, didn't matter. Just send him over to the regular school. This boy is a murderous psychopath, in other words. But that wasn't enough. Well, how frustrating is that? That's incredibly frustrating. Imagine how that father feels. Oh well, it motivated him to write a book, but. Yeah, I, the more you learn about that school district, that police force, those policies, the the ability for ideology to blind people, their their common sense, is just amazing to me. I hope we're having some sort of breakthrough on that front. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Um, so a couple accidentally had a couple hundred thousand dollars deposited into their account, and guess what they did with it? Oh boy. Stay tuned for that, among other things. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This hour, Mike Lyons, our military analyst we love talking to on uh, the news that happened over the weekend where Trump was going to meet with Taliban leaders at Camp David. Wow. Plus, Um, I've been cramming on the new Defense Intelligence Agency's unclassified report on Chinese military capability. I want to ask Mike about that a little bit, too. Because China's, uh, they're calling it a near peer with the U.S. in terms of military might. Wow. That's something. There are some places they might even have a bit of an edge. Yeah. That's something. There are definitely places where we do. Keep that in mind, you commie dogs. China is asshole. Right, right. So, Michelangelo, how long have you been working on the Armstrong and Getty show? Uh, almost 19 years. 19 years is a long time. And you made a major announcement uh, earlier in the show. Which That's is, right. Which yeah. is? I got engaged over the weekend. Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Michael Our little engaged. boy is grown up. Getting married. Fantastic. Love. I'm in love with love. Is there a particular reason now? Tax reasons or... Exactly. Oh, for 
No, of, it had been almost heaven. six years that we'd been together. Wow, uh, that's a long six time years, to date. Yeah, it was going to be two weeks. And I just, I didn't want to make, go into this six year. I said, that's enough. Has you she know? been hinting that yeah. uh, perhaps you need to fish or cut bait? or? Yeah, Henson and I were talking about this. At a certain point, people start, uh, they start giving you hints. You know, well, you like, can't blame anybody. No, you can't blame Sure, them, you so. can. <laughs> What are we Why doing? Why we got to involve the state? <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So well, cool, very exciting. You don't have a date yet? No date yet. But uh, I'm kind of disappointed in the wedding proposal. I think I should have been a little more creative. I mean, it was very sweet, but I, you know, I didn't want to do the ball game. Look up on the Astrovision. Will you oh, marry boy. me? I hate that. So yeah. yeah. Mm, listen, uh, you y'all handle your love affairs the way you want to. I'm glad I only have one I have to run. But um, the whole giant showbiz production thing. I'm not, so, I have a buddy who did that. So he and his girlfriend had been dating for quite a while. And I think I got to give away the ending first. So he had done the Jumbotron thing mm. for a baseball game. Yes. Atlanta Braves baseball game. <laughs> And they were going to put it on the Jumbotron at the Atlanta Braves baseball game. On the drive to Atlanta, which was several hours, the conversation came up. She brought up the conversation of, are we ever going to get married? And for whatever reason, he went with the, I don't, I'm tired of talking about this. You bring this up all the time. And they because ended up, that would make the surprise even better. They ended up having a stony, silent drive the rest of the way there. And like, you know, anybody who's uh, been in a relationship has been in these moments. Uh, they're awful. Where you're like, you know, it's cold and quiet and like it's, it's freezing. Your teeth are chattering. Right. Um, <laughs> For some reason, he let it get to that point before they put it up on the Jumbotron. And, hey, everybody, just kidding. Oh, I actually my. want to marry you. <laughs> How was her? She thought it was funny in retrospect. Okay. Which has okay. uh, worked out okay. Well, that's good. That's a great story, then. Tell that one to the grandkids. It made me <laughs> sick to my stomach. <laughs> oh, it made me sick. I remember when he told it. I was like, ah, ah, ah. But so you decided to do it uh, in private. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No it's sort nice... of elaborate hiding the ring in an oyster while, nope. you, while you go out to eat sort of thing. That seems just ripe with possible points of failure. <laughs> the problem is the box that I got for the ring was huge, and so I could not hide this thing very well, so I was carrying it in my pocket, and it just looked like something was really wrong, you know, mm-hmm. in my right pocket. So I'm covering it up with my uh, shirt, and we're walking along, and I finally just lifted up the shirt and... Squatted down and try, and then I'm fighting to get this the thing out of the lift pocket. And squat, right? I'm fighting to get this thing out of the out of my pocket. Excuse I me can't. for a minute. How'd you, how'd you do, are a little tight. How'd, <laughs> how'd you do squatting down and getting back up? Any grunting or any problems? Yeah, or did I had a knee pop. <laughs> in sickness and in health, can I get a hand here, please? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give a brother a hand up, would you? Oh boy! I don't think I've told this story. I was uh, when I when I proposed to my wife. Um, I had it planned. We we're going to go for a drive out in the country, and uh, and I was going to stop. We we're going to look at the stars, and then I was going to spring it upon her. Well, we did that. We went for a drive out in the country, and I twisted and turned down some roads, and uh, and uh, took a turn on a gravel road because I wanted a road where no cars were going to come along. And uh, we're on some gravel road, and we're on the sitting on the tailgate of my truck and looking at the stars and everything like that. And I proposed and everything. That's the whole the way the whole thing worked out. Well, it 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 became clear. In the light of day, when I retraced the the steps at some point, we reached. I was right next to the 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 county dump, the county <laughs> landfill. Nice. So nice. the special place <laughs> is right next to the landfill, with like birds flying around and bugs. And oh wow! Just, it smells disgusting. See the trashy. You got earth movers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just disgusting. 
Wow. So I'm yeah. glad you picked a more picturesque spot there, Michael. But congratulations. The congratulations are, are really flowing in on the text line. Everybody's happy for you. Thank well, you, everybody. Most people are happy for you. They're always the kind of people in social media that are just angry, mean-spirited people. But. So you're getting my text as well, then. That's good. <laughs> I want them rounded up. <laughs> now, speaking of rounded up, how about this guy? This might be the man of the year among certain, like, way-out-there libertarian circles. Man driving stolen vehicle caught with rattlesnake, uranium, whiskey, and firearm. And his plan was to... That's some party. <laughs> I'm going to... Obviously, I was about to, to... Well, uh, now I can't. Rattlesnake clearly is uh, needed for the... Uh, now I'm not going to be able to... Would you please finish that sentence? What I'm planning to do is recreate the Gadsden flag, the don't tread on me snake flag, with a nuclear <laughs> rattlesnake... <laughs> Um, and, uh, and, uh, but I need to get a little liquored up to infuse the rattlesnake with the uranium. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a heck of a deal there. So I got a couple here that autumn, uh, accidentally got, uh, several hundred thousand dollars deposited in their account. That never happens in the modern banking industry, but it did in this case. And they went ahead and spent $120,000 that was accidentally put into their account. Wow. And now they're on the hook for paying the bank back. What? That's the way it turned out. I thought we'd just got get away scot free with this. They bank, gave it to us. Bank air in your favor, the Monopoly way. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. They bought an SUV, a couple of four wheelers, a camper, a car trailer, bikes. Whoops. No, we have to pay it back. What? Subtle, sarcastic mocking wasn't good enough. Kids, if the bank accidentally puts money in your account that you know doesn't belong to you, don't think you're going to be able to spend it and get away with it. It's just not going to work that way. This couple spent $120,000 on four-wheelers, SUVs, a camper, a car trailer. Oh, my God. Yeah, possession is nine-tenths of the law, but it's not ten-tenths. And when it comes to a banking area, that ain't your money. Don't spend it, period. Wow. So I guess we're uh, not getting out of Afghanistan now? Not or at this point. How's it working? We're going to talk with Mike Lyons, yep. politi- uh, military analyst, coming up in just a few minutes. You know, one one point I want to make, we were talking about, you know, Trump canceled the secret meetings because the Taliban uh, launched a bombing, right. killed many uh, civilians and one of our guys. Mike Pompeo mentioned that he said we've killed a thousand Taliban in the last month. Oh, really? Yeah, so unless there's some specific ceasefire going on, I don't quite get the cancellation. Um, but we'll talk to Mike about that. He's yep. in the know. Yep. News now, Marsha Phillips. Well, you're mentioning that the Taliban is now saying President Trump's decision to call off the talks that have been scheduled for Sunday at Camp David will, quote, lead to many more losses for the United States. And I'm sorry, Pompeo said they've we've killed over 1,000 Taliban in the last 10 days. Yeah. Wow. Secretary of State Pompeo also saying the uh, Taliban uh, were not to be trusted after they set off that car bomb last week, killing, as you mentioned, the U.S. soldier. We'd been making progress. We'd had a commitment from the uh, Taliban that said that they would break with al-Qaeda publicly and permanently. We had a commitment that said that they would reduce violence. Well, that did not happen. The violence was not reduced. I can see those weird bearded freaks laughing, saying, all right, I tell you what, let's... let's uh Let's agree to break with Al-Qaeda, let's agree with whatever, and then uh, then the day we're, we're going to sign it, let's just flake, let's just not even show up. Because <laughs> we got a thousand years. 
We got a thousand right. years. We did it to the Soviets. We bled them. Doing it to the friggin' Americans. All of our young men who we send to get slaughtered, they'll go to Allah, so that doesn't matter. And we'll just keep on keeping on. Meanwhile, you got thousands of students forming human chains in schools across Hong Kong to show their solidarity to push for democratic reforms after violent weekend clashes. Over the weekend, the crowds were waving American flags and singing the U.S. national well, anthem. The chaos happened uh, yesterday. I've been detained for 24 hours. And I urge international communities to realize the political persecution just result in white terror and become a common norm. That was activist Joshua Wong, who had been arrested and held for many hours after he got out, saying we need to raise international uh, awareness of what's going on here in Hong Kong. There was an article in the New York Times over the weekend that she might be getting pressure from the rest of the Communist Party, that things might be shaky for him for the first time since he declared he was a leader forever. Now, I don't don't know what their info is on that, uh, how certain it is, but I suppose it's possible. Now, Congress is returning this week after their long, late summer recess. Democrats pressuring the Senate to take action on new gun laws after the uh, deadly mass shootings continued. The uh, Democrats are going to be pressing the Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to put election security legislation on the Senate floor. McConnell's been resisting, and Democrats have started calling him Moscow Mitch. How about the impeachment talk that's back? Oh, yeah. As Congress comes back in, there's now a majority of Democrats in the House, which was one of the lines Nancy Pelosi had mentioned. You know, if we had a right. if we had a majority of Democrats, then I'd have to take a look at it. There's now a majority. Uh, uh, apparently, they did go back to their districts, some of them, and got an earful and decided, okay, I'm on board with impeachment. Well, here's the fake maneuver that they're going to go with. They're holding, and, and they're, they've already come out and said this, a number of Democrat congresspeople, we are now holding impeachment Articles of impeachment hearings. We are doing the investigation. We are preparing the articles. It's they're not going to impeach him. It's it's you know I realize it's a while, but we're practically within a year of the election. It's just it, it, it's too crazy. They're just pandering to their base. On an entirely different matter, we've got Joe Biden's bloody eye part three. Oh my God, is he still bleeding from his eyes? Oh. Uh, can't somebody He's get a bandaid? His eyes, his Something. ears, his, you know, whatever. <laughs> Modern medicine needs to be able to stop a bleeding eye. I don't understand how this is, is continues to be a thing. <laughs> the former vice president talking about why his left eye filled up with blood during CNN's climate change town hall last week. Biden... <laughs> he just pointed to a clock, said that's why, time. <laughs> Biden telling New Hampshire's Laconia Daily Sun it was my contact lens, I think. You, you know, when you're you're taking it out, I think I bruised my eye. As for asking if Biden at 76 fit, is fit enough to run for president, Biden says, ah, it's a totally appropriate question. I'll completely disclose everything about my health. I'm in good shape. Meanwhile, without campaigning again, he had another little Biden slip of the tongue. But if Donald Trump, if Donald Trump is reelected, <laughs> Freudian slip. Dummy. <laughs> Donald Hump. That's a gaff. Was that a gaff? Yeah, it was a gaff. Bruised by a contact lens isn't exactly a good counteroffensive to your old and frail. Right, you're an ageist. That's enough of your hate speech. So, Joe Biden is a dummy. I got some more numbers behind the numbers we'll get to later with the, some of the polling that came out yep. over the weekend. But Biden's big support is with the uh, non-white crowd. He actually leads with every crowd. That's how you end up with a double-digit lead. But really gets his uh, support from the non-white crowd. 
Biden's support among non-white Democrats is double Sanders and triple Warrens. Wow. So that crowd, for whatever reason, I guess because he was Obama's vice president? Right. I don't know. Well, and and how about how Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, who are uh, uh, African-American and half African-American, respectively, I believe, uh, are getting nothing. Actually, you from know, Black that was unfair what I said because I, I do, usual. do have some knowledge that um, uh, black voters are more conservative than your college-educated white voters. True. They're, and and remember, yep. I had that story about the various Hispanic groups. They hate the idea of free health care for illegals. They mm-hmm. think that's terrible. Right. So right. a lot of your Warren Sanders stuff is just way too out there yeah. to the left. That's for college-educated white women in particular. Yeah, a class of people except for my wife. I have no use for Kanye. I kid. That's a lot of our audience, and we love you. We love you. Kanye West continues his Sunday services. This time, it was in his hometown of Chicago. The rapper drawn thousands of fans to an island uh, yesterday morning for a special concert, along with some other rappers like Chance the Rapper. I know exactly what to do now to right my wrongs. We ain't afraid to talk to God. He has been out almost every Sunday doing these concerts all over the country now. This is clearly a churchy thing, though. Yeah, oh, very much so. The Bible! That's right, sir. Yep, that's what it's all about. Later in the day, he performed at the Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church on the south side of Chicago. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Is it going to be like Bob Dylan's brief flirtation with uh, Christianity, or is Kanye uh, really down with God? We'll we got, find out together. Did got, I ever? Excuse me. Did I ever tell you about the time I went to see Bob Dylan's Christian concert, and you know who was sitting behind me? Pat Boone and his daughter <laughs> well, Debbie Boone. I'll be dang. Good brush. With if was... only we didn't have Mike Lyons coming up in moments <laughs> we right. could talk at length about that brush with, <laughs> brush with greatness. That'd be good. <laughs> Great uh, Debbie Boone. Yeah, so I'll be interested to hear what Mike Lyons has to yeah. say about this. Should we have met with the Taliban uh, at Camp David in the United States? Um, should we cut a deal with them at all? Let's find out next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, While there have often been discussions about war at Camp David, there have been discussions about peace there as well. Been some pretty bad actors travel through that place uh, throughout recorded history. What was Mike Pompeo talking about? Well, Donald Trump tweeted about it over the weekend. Unbeknownst to almost everyone, the major Taliban leaders and separately the president of Afghanistan were going to secretly meet with me at Camp David on Sunday. They were coming to the United States tonight. Unfortunately, in order to build false leverage, They admitted to an attack in Kabul that killed one of our great soldiers. I immediately canceled the meeting and called off peace negotiations. What kind of people would kill so many in order to seemingly strengthen their bargaining position? They didn't. They only made things worse. I have so many questions. And since neither Donald J. Trump nor Mike Pompeo is available, our third choice was the fabulous Mike Lyons, military analyst for CBS News. And Mike, that was uh, that's a strange introduction, I realize, but when I am president, you will be my Secretary of Defense. Does that make you feel better? That makes me feel great. Perfect, guys. It's great to be back on with you. Excellent. Excellent. So, listen, uh, uh, why don't we get your thoughts overall on, on hearing about these secret negotiations that were aborted? What was your reaction? So, so 
So initially, it's classic Donald Trump, okay, in that he wants to create a photo op. He wants to create an opportunity. He's got the mentality of Jimmy Carter and Arafat at Camp David, you know, the Accords and all that stuff, and that's his mentality. And he, he struck a nerve with this 9-11 generation of, like, how dare we bring these terrorists to, to Camp David. I think that's one thing that came out of it. But so he finally gets talked out of this, I think, by Mike Pompeo, who says, look, we're not going to get any kind of deal here that's going to have any teeth. And in classic transaction-based Donald Trump mentality form of what I'll call fill or kill, he's going to fill the requirement if it works or not. He just kills it. He sends a tweet out, and all of the work that was done in the back uh, you know, for the past few months is now gone, and they have to reset everything. But it was the right move, uh, but again, the way he conducts foreign policy is just something like we've never seen before. Okay, that explains my question, because to say we, we can't negotiate with these people, they killed one of our guys while Mike Pompeo's on the talk show is saying, listen, we've killed a thousand Taliban in the last ten days. I mean, yeah. so that explanation just didn't really make sense to me. Okay, I get it. I get yeah. it. And, and I think I think um, we've been getting indications from the past week. Secretary Esper made a comment about, hey, we're going to walk away from a bad deal. We're, we're coming to realize that you know, we're, we're looking for historical analogies, right? And we looked at, at Sinn Féin when they were negotiating with the British, with the IRA. The bottom line is they had a very direct connection to the military arm of the IRA because the money flowed through the political arm to the military arm. And once that stopped, if you could negotiate with that political arm, you could get a real ceasefire. Well, we're, we're discovering that the people we're talking to at the Taliban have no control over the tribe that runs the military arm. They do whatever they want to do, and it's, you know, disparate hydra, 15 different heads, whatever you want to call it. The bottom line is there's a disconnect there, so we're going to negotiate with somebody that's not capable of enforcing the deal, and I think we're starting to realize that now. But from the standpoint of just being there, uh, Pompeo was making the argument on the shows yesterday, look, there's all kinds of places around the world where we've got problems with uh, terrorists that are you know, trying to come up with a plan to attack the United States, not just Afghanistan. So right. his, his point is, I think what he is trying to say, why, why are we putting so much emphasis on this particular little stretch of crappy land? I think because the president did make a campaign promise to get us out of there. But I think he needs to repivot this whole thing. And you've got, again, the 9-11 generation who thinks they're fighting an endless war, and they, they want out. They want to say, look, this is enough. We just want to leave there. Uh, the, the bottom line is, you know, what, what we're doing in Afghanistan is similar to what we did at the end of the Second World War. We kept troops in Europe for 55 years. We have troops in South Korea since the end of that conflict as well. And we should not look to actually leave Afghanistan. That's, the president needs to kind of pivot back to the fact that we could keep 7,500 troops in Afghanistan and still get all the things we need to accomplish militarily that we did when we kept 100,000 troops there. So this is actually a bargain. This is actually a good thing. It's something that the military can do. And, and I think that's what Pompeo is trying to shift the attitude to. Because Trump, again, going back to the fill or kill mentality, he knows that if he doesn't get the troops out, well, the political enemies of his are going to hit him over the head with the fact that he didn't do that. And he's now back to where the same troop level he wants is what Obama did when he left office in 2016. Now, there weren't any Nazis attacking American soldiers in 1965, 20 years later, though. No. Yeah, well, yeah and, and I think that the United States has got to take this role of, of this kind of mission, maybe as a leader of NATO, in order to have these wars eight time zones from here. Where do you want to fight these people? You want to fight them in the streets of New York City? You want to fight them in Kabul? And I think uh, the, the projection is let's fight them eight time zones from here. So just to, to finish this discussion, if you were advocating that point of view or Trump were, 
Should he say something like, listen, every one of our guys who dies is a tragedy and is injured and it's terrible and we're seeking to prevent it, but it's not really more than die in a big city police force? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the analogy, and and that's exactly right. And the, the fact that he should say we're winning in Afghanistan because we don't have to keep 100,000 troops there, that we have 7,500 trained troops, the Afghan security forces are getting better every day, and maybe we'll get it down to 5,000. But the bottom line is, based on the strategic weapons we can always bring to the table and the amount of troops that we have there, unlike any time else in warfare, I think we had a conversation once about, boy, how 1,500 troops in Syria can control everything that's going on there. You, you, we used to have to send 20,000 troops anyplace, 50,000, in order to get anything done. But nowadays, we don't have to, we don't have to do that. And I think he's got to re-educate the, the population mm. about how we do this. And, and, and politically, it's not going to go well for him because, again, the Democrats are going to say, oh, no, you say we're all coming out, you know, peace, love, and the Grateful Dead, and we're, you know, everything's going to be great. But, but no, this is the kind of new way that the military, I think, needs to position these kinds of, uh, these kinds of deployments. That's interesting. Military analysts might Mike Lyons on the line. Mike, have you gotten a chance to take a glance at the uh, DIA's new unclassified report on the Chinese military? A little bit. I could tell you that um, their missile program is something that we've got to be real concerned about. And um, the, the, the thing is, you know, they're, they're not, we're going to be swapping ordnance, I think, soon in the Pacific Ocean. I mean, they're, wow. they're, going, to, they're going to go after our, our carriers. And we're going to have, you know, again, a 9-11 decision because you take out one of those carriers and you kill 5,000 sailors you know, what's going to be our response? They, they have looked at 9-11. They, they looked at what happened in Desert Storm, and they looked at the fact that the United States can bring command and control of literally everything, and every tool in the toolbox to the battlefield. And they're going to try to get out in front of that. And, um, I, you know, I think the Navy is preparing for that. The Navy, I think, is going to be leading our country in the next 20 to 50 years in projecting power against what's going to be a Chinese military that's um, going to continue to try to grow and, and expand its capability. So do you think some sort of punch in the nose is imminent then? It sounded like you're leaning that way. I, you know, imminent is, um, imminent is maybe too close. I, I think that we're getting to the point where the, the amount of ordinance that they have on those atolls there that, you know, that they built up as opposed to putting, you know, condos on them, um, the missiles that they have there, we're now getting to the point where they could make a mistake. Now, maybe they might not hit a U.S. cruiser or destroyer. They might hit something else. But they're looking to intimidate those shipping lanes that are taking place in the South China Sea. And um, yeah, I think we're getting to the point where you could have, you know, Cuban Missile type of crisis mistake if we don't figure out a way to, uh, to respond back or, or open up the dialogue with what's, uh, what they're doing there. May you live in interesting times. Mike Lyons, military analyst for CBS News. Mike, always a pleasure. Thank you. Great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yep. So I haven't read it. I've just seen the headlines. But what, 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 what are the headlines? Well, the, the China China's military is a near peer of the United States in a lot of capabilities. Uh, their missile program, as Mike said, is uh, leaping forward. We still own the seas um, to a large extent, but you know, my my brother's active duty in the Navy, and and you know, I've I've known many sailors, and if if you blast a ship out of the water, many people die. It's unless you're, you know, firing off warning shots and it's that posturing thing, a naval attack, people die. And I'm just I'm thinking over what Mike said and how belligerent China has been about building these little islands in the South China Sea and then arming them and turning them into military bases. And and they're going to want to flex their muscles sooner or later. 
Um, the other thing they said is that cyber-wise, it's difficult to say who's ahead, but both of us are, are cyber superpowers, and China may well be ahead. Um, uh, but, oh, they're, uh, they're spending uh, more on the military than anybody on Earth except the United States and are, are growing it by leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. It's a huge priority. So, yeah, yeah. Although, you know, the, if there's one kind of softening note, a couple of experts I was listening to are pointing out that it's very different from the Cold War because we had very, very little relationship with the Soviet Union. We didn't have trillions of dollars in trade and and, and billions and billions of dollars in tourism and, and thousands of students going back and forth right. to each other's countries. That so is different. That's, that's not to say that's going to prevent anything ugly from happening, but it is different. It's the Thuclidean trap. Oh, I was afraid of that. For many, <laughs> many thousands of years. An established power and a rising power almost always go to war, like nine out of ten times. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. I once accidentally caught a uh, a skunk in my Thuclidean trap, and I didn't know what to do. Mike Lyons saying we in China will be swapping ordinance at some point <laughs> is uh, frightening. Boy, you talk about rattling the markets. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've seen what's happened in the Persian Gulf, various warning shots, and how about Russia buzzing our fighters or our our... our our boats, yeah. Well, let's hope not, but, you know, world keeps spinning. I, what's the most popular app in China? I'll tell you that story later in the show. It's really interesting. And this story, he had sex on a business trip and died. His employer is liable. What? Details. Coming up. Armstrong and Getty.